I don't want to make it sound like this, but we kind of need that acceptance. Acceptance by who of what? By by the people, by the internet. We love to be um, admired. We we every time we post a new image of a artwork that we work for hours, of course we're gonna want to be seen. Okay, so Austin, hi. Everybody, hi. <laughs> hi. So yeah, it is eight in the morning here in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, it's which 3 if you want to sound like if you want to sound like a local, they all say Melbourne. But I Melbourne. refuse to do that. Melbourne. Either way, the city, as an American, I proudly pronounce it Melbourne. Melbourne. Um, but it is funny how the R does make me yeah. feel like a foreigner when I'm here. I will say like Melbourne. Mel yeah, exactly. Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah. So, yes, I will be back. Uh, probably by the time this is released, I'll already be back. But, uh, but I, uh, yes, I appreciate the patience and any weirdness like i can hear my squeaky chair and uh possibly my laptop fan so this may not be the most high quality audio recording we've ever had but that's I'm okay it's, yeah it's probably like they can't imagine you also fancy in that hotel room so <laughs> my very normal hotel room <laughs> but um but i'll say this this is my 22nd coffee why are you counting coffees first off because it's like each one feels like a special occasion so the first time i came to australia was in 20 let me think 2013 or 2014 for work. i got I, yeah i've only ever been here for some kind of music related task i've never i've never been a pure tourist vacation mm. here um, the first time I came was to conduct Journey with the Queensland Symphony in Brisbane. Mm. Um, and actually, it was an extremely awesome. This was not that long after Journey came out. And I get a cold email from this guy um, who has since become a very good friend and who I've been hanging out with this week while I'm here, a guy named Andrew. And he reached out to me on behalf. He was working for the Melbourne Symphony here. But he was like a video game nerd who also worked in the classical music, you know, world. And so anytime an orchestra goes, we want to do, anytime an Australian orchestra would say, we want to do a concert of video game music, he would be the guy that they like grab and borrow and go, help us do this. We don't know what we're doing. So he called me and goes, hey, I'm working on behalf of this other orchestra, the Queensland Symphony. Do you want to come? Uh, actually, he just said, can we just borrow sheet music for Journey and play it? And I was like, can I come? And will you pay for it? <laughs> and <laughs> he was like, um, it was one of those where they basically had just enough budget to bring me out uh, nice. to conduct Journey. And then the best thing was I go, out of curiosity, what else is on the show? And he goes, um, he goes, get this. Bear in mind, this is the first time we've ever talked. He doesn't know me. Um, he goes, there's a really famous video game score that's never been done live in concert. 
and so I worked. I reached out to the composer, and we made a special version of it for the orchestra. And it's gonna be the first time ever that this music is done live in concert. And I was like, "Wow, that's awesome! What score is it?" And he goes, "Grim Fandango." Oh. And I was like, "What?" I said, "Dude, that's <laughs> that's like maybe my favorite game music of all time." So I said, wow. "What would it take to let me conduct Journey and that?" And he goes, "I don't, I don't care. Go ahead." So I got to conduct this childhood favorite, the first ever orchestral performance of Grim Fandango on planet Earth on that trip. Amazing. And it was freaking awesome. And then the other thing that happened is I showed up and I got a cup of coffee and I was like, damn, this is good coffee. And then I went and got another (laughs) cup of coffee and was like, this is really great coffee too. I did not know. I always assumed it was was more like your part of the world where all the best coffee is is supposed (laughs) to be from. You know, Central and South America is like where it's supposedly... All of Australia is fanatical about coffee. So now when I mm-hmm. come here, it's like the thing I dream about. And it's like, I just want to drink coffee all day, every day. So, yes, I've been keeping Like, you're not, you're coffee. not, yeah, but you're, you're making it sound like you never have coffee, which is untrue. Like, you're just this repeating so your special. daily life. But well, yeah, it's just, each one feels so special. I've been here a few days. Oh, and my I've God. managed to have a couple of coffees each day. So this is literally my coffee number 22. Are you? Are they all that good? Isn't it like in your... Aren't you just biased? No, they're just so good. And you talk to people here and I'm like, am I crazy? Am I overblowing this? And they're like, no, we're very proud of it. Uh, It's a real deal. And the sad thing is... We'll see. We'll see. Well, it's nothing I can bring (laughs) back is the problem, you know, like... Because, if, you know, we don't we don't have an espresso machine and it's all espresso. They don't do drip coffee. Oh. And, um, And also, it's not... It's not that, like, they have all the best beans and blah, blah, blah. It's that they know how to make it. It's the, it's, it's like, so if I brought it back, it would, it would basically be normal. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if we had the machine. So that's why it's like, I just got to keep coming back to Australia. (laughs) Nice. Oh my God. The most expensive coffee you're ever taking. That may be true. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so yes, that's what's going on uh, with me here. It's lovely. it's very exciting. I took a trip for some coffee. Nice. What do you think of today's topic? We're well. This was your suggestion. So. Well, okay. It is a. Um, it is uh, one of those that could easily be a subject. Um, repeatedly, I think, because there's probably a lot of different angles mm-hmm. to think of it through. But just this general question of the way we had it written down was the artist versus the audience. Yes. Um, and I think that that's a funny framing because the verses makes it sound like <laughs> it's a battle, you know? It's a like battle. It's sort mm-hmm. of a... Um, In uh, most cases, it is a battle. Well, so that... Okay, so we're already into it then. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that's what's... That's to me what struck is like the paraphrasing of it was essentially who is the art for? Yes. Um, the artist or the audience, you know, like mm-hmm. the listener or the viewer or the player, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I don't remember actually who initially like wrote this down in our little document. Um, what is your, what is your... Well, I guess it comes down like for uh, basically just to, to put it like simple, we make art. We share it online in order to be noticed. That's mostly what artists are doing today. 
sure. It's rare. It's rare to find an artist that creates for themselves. Like that is too rare. You actually, you got to meet somebody that used to do that. Yeah, uh, they say. didn't. They mm -hmm, they didn't care about you know the exposure or it was just the the pleasure of creating. Simple as that. But I. That that's we're talking about somebody that grew up in a different, completely different era. <laughs> well, also so, she. So who you're referring to is my cousin Sonia Eisenberg, um, who was a painter and kind of a shut-in. Um, she was very sick her whole life, and just to add some context, Sonia was among the family members who grew up in Germany uh, uh, right before Hitler came to power. And as a bunch of Berlin Jews, they had to flee in 1938 to come to the U.S. to avoid literal death. Some of the family members did die. Um, she was basically a teenager at the time. She moved to New York City um, uh, with her brother and her, her parents and the rest of the family. Eventually, young, in her 20s, she met a guy named Jack Eisenberg. So she was Sonia Weinberger and then got married to Jack Eisenberg and got married in her 20s so she was married very young and then um ha she was early 20s diagnosed with um this disease called polyneuritis that they had no real treatment for no real ability to um to um uh like even mitigate symptoms like never mind i had no cure. idea she was that young when they discovered that she, yeah she was she was more or less told You'll be unlikely to live to age 30. Um, Jesus. And she lived to age 90. Um, and <laughs> so she was like, I'm going to focus on my health. And she she always ate well and she would do exercise. Probably she, that's why. Oh, yeah. She she, she she worked really hard and it was difficult for yeah. her. And there was always problems. I bet. In her 20s, she said she would basically lie on the floor and, floor and scream in pain. And um, oh like, my God. it was just absolute torture. But... As if none of that was bad enough, she had a child. Um, she, she had initially two sons, and the first one um, got leukemia at age 10 and, and knew he wasn't going to live. And so he, almost like this old soul, he went one day and got her a set of paints and paintbrush and brought it to her and said, um, you need something to do basically you need a distraction and so you know she was like i don't know about 30 i'm guessing maybe as late as 35 but i think she was probably like 31 32 um and her son who died uh at age 10 uh had basically given her this gift of paints mm -hmm. and she spent the next 60 years honoring his wish so that to her, that was effectively her mission as mm -hmm. a painter was I don't care if I'm famous. I don't care if people like it. Mm -hmm. I don't care. She always wanted the paintings to find a home. Right. But it was kind of like it was almost like if you imagine if you raise like puppies and you really want them to find like a loving home, mm -hmm. you like care for them. And then someone comes along and is like, I'd like a puppy. And you like want to make sure 
that it's going somewhere. Right. You know, like that it's going to be loved. Yeah. And that's almost every time I witnessed her dealing with selling a painting, it always seemed like that. She was like, I really hope that they appreciate it and that it brings them some. I mean, calm. yeah, of course. So many hours of, of work and yeah, I get it completely. And, and it was it was about the idea that, you know, she she would charge a ton of money for her paintings. But I think part of it. Of course, she believed they were valuable. I mean, she mm -hmm. she, she was not um, clueless when it came to things like commerce. Mm -hmm, but she mm -hmm. also, I think she wanted to make sure that somebody actually cared enough about it and they would right. prove it by the, how much they pay. Exactly. Because uh -huh. she cared. She, she I remember she, one of her little catchphrases that she had gotten from her teacher, this guy named Delevanta, was um, he looked at one of her paintings and goes, uh, this is great, but you didn't love the corners. And that always stuck with her as like, you have to love every millimeter of this canvas mm -hmm. and treat it with love. And that made such an impression on me when I met her. I was 18. I was a music student at NYU and we would have dinner every Friday. I eventually moved into her apartment uh, before I left New York City. And we were really, really close. And uh, she was like this spirit guide for me. Mm -hmm. And so anyway... Yeah, she's one of the only examples ever. I appreciate you indulging this long tangent. I can't think of anybody else. She, I really can't think of anyone. And she was anyone. very lucky because her husband, who had died in the 80s, and so I never met him. He, he was long gone by the time I met her. Um, he had left her a sizable nest egg, and they owned their apartment outright. They didn't, I mean, they paid taxes and stuff, but she, did, she didn't have, like, rent payments in the conventional sense. So she just had her living expenses, and she did. She had hired help, this wonderful woman named Adelaide. She uh, basically was able to just live with her money problem, not having any money problems. So she was very lucky, or you dare I say privileged, mm -hmm. which gave her the ability to paint for herself yeah, alone. Yeah, that's, uh -huh, that's another thing. The need to create, to earn money, to be able to eat. That's what's happening. Correct. She did not have any danger of missing, uh, you know, the bills if a painting didn't sell that month. Right. Um, and so that put her in a unique situation. And there have been occasional artists. There's a famous composer example, I would say, that's, that's kind of similar. Um, there's a composer named Charles Ives who was uh, sort of born in the late 1800s. And he's considered one of the single most important American composers in history, but only after his death, because no one had any idea how genius he was while he was alive. It's the classic story where mm. he was an insurance salesman who made mm -hmm. millions of dollars selling insurance, and he would write music and put it in <laughs> his drawer, and it was almost never performed during his lifetime. But he was this wealthy guy who would support orchestras and was like, you know, one of these kind of benefactors to the arts. And then when people um, would go and f discover his music later, they realized he was supremely innovative and he was doing like genuine, like someday we'll do another episode about the concept of the avant-garde. But this was a guy who was doing in many ways, like the most interesting version of what the avant-garde can mean. For example, mm -hmm. he grew up in like small town, you know, kind of middle America, not, not in the suburban sense, but like the old town square kind of idea where you would have like the long central road and there'd be a little band playing, you know, like dun, 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 <laughs> type classic sort of, you know, right. Americana yep. marching band kind of music you know the, the 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 stories are that he would hear 
a band like on one end of town playing one song and then just within earshot on the other side of town a different band playing and he would listen to two different pieces of music at the same time and just found that so interesting so he would write pieces that do that where it's like half the orchestra is playing one thing and the other half of the orchestra is playing something completely unrelated and no one had ever done anything like i mean this Mm -hmm. was this was and it's it's because he was like this weirdo outsider and he wasn't responding to commissions he wasn't being hired he just was letting his imagination wander and then he would put it in a drawer and everybody later found this stuff and was like Holy hell! This was <laughs> he was he was a he was like a hundred years ahead of his time. That's amazing. And, That's and funny so that you're I, telling me you're telling me this story, and uh, it kind of like connects with something that I was gonna bring up later. But um, what's that? The little game that I have for later, I guess. If you've got it uh, prepared, then we won't forget. Um, yeah. But yeah, so those but those are rare examples. Most people. Even some of the most famous, like in composers throughout history, um, Mozart and Beethoven and Haydn and very, the vast majority of them worked for someone who was paying them and they, you know, had like responsibilities. They, they had to, do, yes, they had to do it because it's what they were asked to do. And there were expectations about how the final product would sound or be. And, and, right. And so we, we tend to mythologize this idea that they're all artists, all great artists, are kind of like Sonia and just sort of alone in a room creating out of some impulse and very personal kind of need to self-satisfy. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, most are interacting with people in a kind of normal right commercial way and mm-hmm. i think i think um well I, let me frame it as a question for you when you're doing a commission um i'm trying to think of a recent example okay like you did this painting for the Descartes. if this was something that like there's a spectrum if it was purely for yourself but you're like doing it for a commission but basically you don't care what they think like if that's <laughs> one extreme right on the other yeah. extreme is all I care about is if they like it. It doesn't matter to me if I think the painting is bad. Mm-hmm. As long as they're happy, then whatever. Then who cares? Yeah, I guess it depends of the person, obviously. If they But are, feel... you, are you capable of truly not caring and just being like... No, they're... I will always try to put my stamp on whatever I do, obviously, because doing exactly what they asked me to, I'm not a designer. Like, that's what they do. You know, I'm I'm not a web designer. I'm not a. I don't know. I can't think of it else right now. But, so but. that that I, just to point at that though, that's an interesting thing because I would argue, in my idealistic, optimistic, way, that a graphic designer who's being given very precise instructions can still be an artist. Yes, and who it can still be an artist, but it's another spectrum, like. Because I actually, I, I, I know what I'm talking about because I lived that. I, I used to do those kind of commissions, you know, like to make logos or whatever you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, do like a, you did like a restaurant menu. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like... those, those kind of things. that it, uh, It's just like you can't be creative. You can't open your heart to a logo or to, you know, it's, it's hard to do that. Obviously, I don't want to diminish the art uh, that they put in those works, but it's... 
those are what the client asks for. Like you can't right. just go your way to create something that they didn't, if they don't feel like what you're, what you think is best for their business. If they don't feel that that fits, you just yeah. are not going to deliver that. Of course, they're going to be unsatisfied and probably they're not going to pay you. So, <laughs> and it happens and that happens. Yeah. yeah. They, they just, yeah. Why are they going to pay for something they didn't ask for? So I, I, that's why I don't do those anymore. <laughs> it's uh, very frustrating and I will definitely prefer to work for somebody that trusts in what I do, that likes what I do and that knows deep inside that I'm going to deliver something that they are going to like. And, and I guess that's it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, it's easy for me to go, yeah, but everybody can be an artist. I mean, look, I don't, it's easy for me to say that, and yet 100% mirroring what you just said, um, I don't do TV commercials. I was going to um, say, it's probably, it might be like a jingle thing, you know? Yeah. This, yeah I, like, I'm, I'm not saying jingles are not creative, but... It kind of falls into that category it's the of same. like. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a hundred percent. It can be very, very creative, uh, but it also is like the kind of thing where the client, whoever you know, if it's like an advertising thing, and you know, McDonald's needs a piece of music for a commercial, they're gonna have fifty different people giving notes and feedback, and they're gonna be really, 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 really specific. You know, like on the ninth note it goes down can it go up you know like they get really 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 particular and it's to me it's not fun i have a Mm -hmm. lot of admiration for the composer friends of mine that have made amazing livings Uh, movie trailers are the same some people they're just fine doing it like they don't feel they don't create they actually like it they really Uh really yes they 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 just just get the instructions and get the shit done and that is that is what it is and they just go back home and they don't have to think about work anymore until the next day so i that's a way of living yeah it is so i think not either of us though Um, (laughs) i I, it is weird how i would actually rather uh, this sounds very romanticized but i'd rather suffer for something (laughs) that pays me less than um than like the job that Mm-hmm. I don't have any, I don't, I won't have any of myself. Again, back to this question, who is it for? If I don't uh-huh. have any opportunity to really make it mine to a degree. Right. It sounds very narcissistic. To put no, no, way. no. But it's, it's just, it's what it is. Like, I know that most of our listeners are artists. And I, I know that they completely agree with this because that's why we're not teachers or, you know, I'm just speaking from my experience because I, uh, back in Costa Rica, the only thing that could, that I could like make money from, like related to art was to become a teacher, like an art teacher. And that felt very, I just don't click with it. Yeah. Yeah. You said you didn't have the patience to be a good teacher. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's another story, but yeah, I don't have the patience to deal with uh, people, but, um, but because yeah, I don't, I don't have the time to be a free soul, and I want to do that. I want to create, and I want to feel, and I want to portray what I'm feeling in the canvas. And I don't want to be instructed to paint in X color. Right. 
Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of sort of internal contradiction that I fully admit to here because um, another angle on it is it's very important to me to be able to be self-expressive and explorational and go somewhere that I've never been. Like, like for example, if someone plays a game like you know Journey and then they go, some other company comes along and says, we're making a game that's like a big love letter to Journey and we'd love to hire you to basically do Journey again because we just love it so much and we want it for our thing. Then my response is like, even if, if, if I say yes to the job, my goal is actually to figure out a way to not repeat. To not be. Mm-hmm. You, you know, actually, you kind of felt that way with the new version of the album, with the 10th anniversary. You were struggling with that. Like, you don't want it to sound like it, but you need to make it sound like it. Yeah. Well, and I definitely remember feeling that on Abzu, uh, where it was like, I want to make sure that you would never confuse this with Journey. Because uh-huh. the game, the game is very different from Journey, but it's very obviously kind of like the the it's like the daughter of Journey in many respects, and so it was important to Matt and to me that it would have really note, like it can be part of the lineage, but it needs to have noticeable right. differences. Yeah. And so, uh, the point being though, here I am accepting a job where the premise is we have a very specific thing we want you to do, mm-hmm. and that's like the condition of the job and I'm finding ways to sort of hopefully give them what they want while also doing something else that's just kind of for my benefit, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Cause, so the part I was going to mention that's contradictory and this is a little less true, I think in the world of fine art and painting, but you tell me if you agree. Um, the other, the, the thing that I love the most, honestly, about what I do about being a composer is the collaboration which ironically also removes a, a lot of my soul identity, you know, where one of my little catchphrases when I'm working with a director on a game or a movie or whatever is I'll say, the goal is not my music in your thing, your movie, your game. It's our music in our thing. Mm-hmm. I want it to feel like they influence the music so much that it's something I could never have written by myself. And also by that that music then makes such an, a meaningful impact on the game or the film that it wouldn't have been the same without me. So we're both like, interdeter- like intermarried, you know, we're like interwoven into right. the project together. Yeah. Um, and the best the best examples I've had, you know, a movie like The Rendezvous or or like um, Bullethead uh, with with Paul. Uh, like these are things where the, they push the score somewhere I would never have gone on my own. Right. And and I love that. I but like, you're talking you're point. talking about work. Like I would like to put this on the personal aspect. Like your you mean like work. If I, write, as... if I uh, okay, that's an interesting distinction. So yes, because yeah, because depending on the client, write... I I think it's better to talk about it this way because for work. You just have to stick with the, with the plan. So that is not up to you. Obviously, you're hired to do something and you deliver and hopefully it goes well and everybody's happy. But for like an ex- like a personal um, project, does it affect you know people's reaction 
which I think it does, well, at least to me, yes, I, I do feel affected by the lack of reaction on my work on social media, which is something that every artist is passing through. I've seen it on Twitter. They're like struggling. Instagram has become this new TikTok that everybody hates. Uh, posting images is not reliable anymore. It doesn't go anywhere. Nobody sees it. So we suffer, we don't sell, and we have to see how to put our work, how to make it fit in the new uh, spectrum of like video and clips and I don't know, which based on what, you know, the people I know, we are a very, um, how to say it, we're a bunch of introverts. So we're not gonna like show up and dance and make a hundred videos a day just to you know to get engagement. Um, it's it's just a little a little battle that I've seen lately, you know, these days uh, in social media specifically. So well, how do it does highlight. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because the idea that if I make the artist, if I make the art just for myself and I don't care about the audience, then none of that, what you just said matters. Of course, of course. You know, but that um, is your job. You need the audience at some point. You need them to see it in order to pay for it so you can eat. <laughs> well, I think it can even be more sort of deep than that. Uh, like <laughs> well, be, yeah, like, like the idea of, you know, is a painting more valuable if it's on a wall that people will be able to appreciate it? Um, you know, like if like a hotel lobby buys a painting and puts it so that, you know, a thousand people a day can walk past it or stop and see it. Is it more valuable uh, than let's say they don't they didn't pay for it. Let's say you donate it. Mm -hmm. um, is it more valuable there with the audience unpaid for than also unpaid for but in a room by like in your in your studio at home and not seen by anybody <clears throat> of course like, i prefer the hotel see, yes so so then the audience is valuable beyond the idea that they pay for it it's the like it is actually made for other people to see yeah it's so hard for me to think of just working on something for hours or days and and never show it to anybody which I at some point thought on doing a series uh, of like a series of paintings, like sexual paintings. And I was like, this doesn't go with my branding. So I might, I do want to do them, but I don't know if I want to put them out there with my name. Hmm. But um, at this point, honestly, you know, <laughs> if you want to sell, just, just go for it, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but it, it's an interesting, like, yeah, I, music is, especially, unless you're talking about electronic music, um, which is one of the only kind of exceptions to this, but generally speaking, <laughs> music is kind of a communal activity. Aha, um, uh -huh, yeah. Know, so, so for other people is baked in, whether it's making the music with other people, like a band or uh, an orchestra, um, or just the idea of like, it's the, you know, a tree falling in the woods, does it make a sound? Does music have any value if played for no one? I mean, it, it really, to me, it, it, it strikes me as utterly valueless. So the yeah. audience, 
the audience matters a lot. Now there is still this philosophy of, do you feel like I'm going to be fiercely individualistic and the only audience I'll find are the people that like what I do? Mm -hmm. Or is it, I want to make things that I hope the audience really likes. And you try to kind of anticipate what they will respond to. Mm -hmm. I actually really like the idea. Many of my greatest heroes are entertainers. You know, yes, today is Leonard Bernstein's 104th birthday. Um, Today? Today. Wow. um, Happy birthday. (laughs) Yeah, he would be 104 if he was still alive. And um, he um, was in so many ways like a like he, he he once said even if he was writing a, the most serious symphony or opera or you know string quartet or whatever he recognized that fundamentally he was a theater composer mm-hmm. um, he liked he he was an entertainer in right. that classic sense he wasn't this beethoven i'm just alone with my piano and going mad right. he was like putting on a show even mm-hmm. if he was writing a piece for solo piano. And I, I, first off, that was absolutely true. And I love that he had the self-awareness to see that about himself, which is, is just great. But, um, but I also just, I, I tend to relate to that. I, it took me a long time to really kind of understand that about myself. And it's part of what makes him one of my heroes is I, the audience is so important to me. I want to make sure that I am communicating with them and that they feel like they get something out of this that mm-hmm. adds value. Of course. So I have to think about them. And earlier you made it sound like, yeah, but that's for work. And I'm like, well, I ch- <laughs> no. No, I chose- just to make it, just to make it more, you know, like uh, more yeah, sort of balanced. like a pure experiment. Yes. I get it. I get it. But it's also one of those where it's like, I chose this work because it speaks to my artistic desires like you know what i mean like it it, it, this work lets me be an artist and actually get paid for it as opposed to you know i do a day job as a composer but the real art is like my private music Mm -hmm. ironically someone like john williams might actually i would think he's being delusional but he would potentially make this case the way i've heard him speak in interviews where he writes his own music, like chamber music or a violin concerto. He recently uh, uh, wrote a, a new violin concerto for Anne and Sophie Mutter, and he's supposedly going to start working on a piano concerto next. And he's going to retire from film to focus only on this kind of music. That's awesome. He wants to, it, it's like music that he won't take payment for. He won't like, and he has no deadline. He'll like, you get it when you get it. Yeah. Um, and. He wrote a harp concerto for the principal of the Boston Symphony, if memory serves, a few years ago. And so it's like personal projects. And, and he considers writing film scores to be his day job. And I, I think that that's a little silly <laughs> to think of it as like one is art and one is business because he's one of the greatest artists to ever write film music. Mm-hmm. And he elevated the art. He made the entire public aware of the orchestra. I mean, he, he, of took, course. he did things that no one else has ever done. But... Um, but he definitely seems like, no, when I write music, I'm going to write very – and he, you can definitely tell the difference. The music he writes for just himself sounds nothing like his film scores. It's, and, it's, and it's far less enjoyable, to be blunt. Like it's – Oh, wow. You, you, you listen to it and you're like, 
he sounds like a generic mid 20th century oh my composer. god <laughs> um i mean maybe it, you're just biased it's not just like him no it's not it's not it's just not just me i mean his if 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 i was wrong his violin concerto would be just as popular as the theme to et in jurassic park but people don't want to hear it because they but listen to it we there. don't hear it because we ha we don't have the ability to to know that I, as a regular consumer of, It's all you on know, Spotify and on YouTube and... Yeah, and, but I don't know. I, I'm not going looking for whatever works is he's done. Like, I go see the movies. So I'm not aware of his other works. I mean, that That's is That's why fair, it's not... Yeah. It's a fair point, but I guarantee you, if I played it for you, you would not enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> or, or at best, at okay. best you, would, you would appreciate it on a kind of intellectual level and yeah. go... Yeah, I, I understand. Um, That's... He comes from a generation where things like a melody you can hum along to and things like that was considered quite almost offensive for classical music. Like that was considered. I mean, you remember when yep. I took you to Disney Hall that first time and you heard a piece you hated. <laughs> um, yeah, he comes I was from very that angry. same generation, you know, of people that, that think that's what modern music is. And if you're writing for yourself, it, it actually, to the point of our question it reached such an extreme that um if a piece started to become like popular it was almost like now you're a sellout and you failed oh my god oh like the, like the audience is, the audience is actually like a curse there you yeah. don't want the audience that is so funny it's yeah, so stupid sometimes i think the audience have the power to change an artist's views and you know a lot of people just follow the masses a lot of artists just do what they are asked, to, what they see is popular. And I always feel a little bothered by that, but you know, each one can do whatever they want. Uh, I do whatever I want. I don't, I prefer to just do what I am inspired to do and not fall into, you know, the bandwagon. But um, I remember once going to a concert with Andrea. We went and saw the Pacific Symphony was doing the world premiere of a piece they commissioned of Elliot Goldenthal. And Goldenthal came out on stage at the beginning of the show. And they said, you know, you come from a very classical background. You're a student of John Corleano, one of the most famous American classical composers alive today. Uh, and yet you've mostly done film music. You haven't done much classical music compared to film music or opera or things like that. And he goes, it's simple. I was told, go where you find work. Go where you're wanted and just exploit that. And yep. he found film scoring, and so he did film scoring. Wow. And, uh, and it was to him very kind of like if, if he'd had more success writing symphonies, he would have done symphonies. <laughs> um, and it wasn't really – there was no – and I think that there's a fairness to that. Like remember when you made those paintings a few years ago that was like the fruit with the skulls? The, the little tiny skulls. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. yep. It's just like a thing that you kind of did for, you know, that just kind of occurred to you and you did a series of these smallish yep. paintings. Um, let's just say that that went crazy viral online and it was like you could barely paint them fast enough because people just had to have them. They just really took off in popularity. You would keep making them because of you're course. like, wow, everyone wants them. And, and like, and, and so you would be directly responding to the audience. Of course. And, and, mm -hmm. And I, I see nothing wrong with that. I see it's that nothing like... wrong. It's nothing wrong because on this case in particular, I made them because I wanted to, not because I saw some 
you know, something that exploded. So I'm now making those fruit because fruit is popular. Oh, oh, I see. You meant like artists following trends of other artists. Yeah, just trends in general. Whatever uh, the internet, yeah. whatever the internet. I just, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm very, I'm definitely very. Yeah, I just do what I like. And yeah, so I don't want to make it sound like this, but we kind of need that acceptance. I don't know how to, how, I don't know how to. Acceptance by who of what? By, by the people, by the internet. We love to be um, admired. We, we, every time we post a new image of a artwork that we work for hours, of course, we're going to want to be seen. We're, we, that's what we're looking for, right? I'm just yeah, simply just. But you can't force people. I mean, look, I, I get that. I get that things like Instagram changing the focus of their, uh, of their um, algorithm is yeah. uh makes it so that you know if you're if you're like doing silly tiktok style videos of dancing like it's gonna probably spread more but on some fundamental level i do have this belief i might be naive that like anything has the potential to go viral and if if someone likes it and shares it um, and then they share it with two more people and they share it with two more people. It could truly be anything. Um, and so like we can't, so, so the frustration is something we all have of just like, I just want, I just want people to like it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I can't, but I can't force them to. Yes, you, know? you can't. And, it's, and that's mm -hmm. like, you know, I think you shouldn't even want to force people to. Uh, like I want people to like it because they find something valuable. Of in course, it. you know. Of again, course, it's like my idealistic. But we all have those darker moments of being like, just but we, watch yes. it. God damn it! Of course, not every artist have the ability to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna go with the flow because there are bills to pay. You need to you need to fit your work into these spectrum. I don't know how to call it. So anyway, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going anywhere here. I'm very frustrated right now. <laughs> um, frustrated but, by what? Uh, you know, this, this is the same story. It's hard, it's hard for a freelance artist to make a, oh, 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 yeah. a yeah, to settle, uh, to have a, <laughs> I was going to say to have a specific income every month, like a monthly. Yeah, like a stable income. A stable, uh -huh, to have a stable income. Uh, it's true. But yeah. For the, since the dawn of time, artists have had this struggle because art is, a, is in a weird middle, it's in this intersection where it can change the world, it can make people's life fundamentally better, but it will always be less valuable than like buying food and paying the rent and paying your loans and blah 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 mm -hmm. blah so it will always be on some level for the average person buying it will be a luxury to some degree it will it's exactly rarely seen yes as a of necessity. course i think it is a luxury but this is where things get funny because when you see that weird you know like very 
low quality work get sold by well, a huge amount of money. Subjective. Yeah. I know, I know it's very subjective, but it's, it, it happens. And you yeah. know that. Everybody knows that. So mm -hmm. that is when we feel like, dude, what should I do now? How can I make a better work for them to like what I do? What can I change? And it becomes this weird mental... Yeah, it's... It's what it is. It, it, is, a, um, it is a fascinating thing. Um, this, 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 this weird kind of contradiction, um, my friend, uh, Sean, his YouTube video series that is nearing its end called out of frame, um, just published the second to last one. And the next one he publishes like in a month or whatever will be his final ever of these videos that he's been doing. Um, and they're so great. They're just great videos about the world and his newest one is about um, the importance of optimism. Um, I found it very moving. I listened to it this morning while I had breakfast. Um, and this idea that, you know, art, art can really inform you. Art has the power to inform a worldview that will make your life happier. He talks about how in Lord of the Rings, he thinks Sam is the single most important character because oh, he's yeah. the unyielding optimist. He's the one who sees the hope in the mm -hmm. world and he yep. never gives up that hope. And he draws the comparison yep. to the husband in Everything Everywhere All at Once who, who basically oh, for saves sure. the day. Oh, my favorite. Yeah, it's so, it's so moving. And it was one mm -hmm. of those where you think, you know, these are pieces of commerce, um, but they contain life lessons and messages. And so it's yeah. like, it, it, is an, it is a piece of luxury like, if I don't have yep. extra money to spend, I'm not going to go see Lord of the Rings or I'm not going to go see a, any movie or play or buy a video like a, 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 a PlayStation 5, you know. Right. If there's no extra income for those, like food comes first. Um, and yet those things can, can contain such powerful messages that make, in a way, life worth living. Um, it's true. This is why people make the argument of why there should be like subsidies for the arts and things like that, so that essentially people are guaranteed to get it. I have my doubts about that because I don't like the <laughs> idea of bureaucrats choosing what kind of art is should be should be paid for. But that's a mm. it's a worthy debate because I I see the I yep. see both sides. Uh, I, I really see the value of it. And, I understand and as well. And it's sort of like for the nourishment of your soul. Should that mm -hmm. be a luxury? Um, like, yeah. it feels like maybe it should be elevated. Um, in yeah, any case. to me, it is, to me, it is a luxury. I, I, I guess the only way you can see it as, as a need is for therapeutic purposes. Like if you make it because you need to, like Sonia. Yeah. Because it helps you. But there are also people that would come to her with tears in their eyes about how, like their her paintings they like it's like they it, it it gave them calm they would just come into her apartment and they would feel like they just stepped into a temple and go i i have felt this weight for years and i just felt lighter as soon as i came in here and they wouldn't really understand it and she would just sit with them and get to know that she would take people off the street she'd walk through central park and just see someone and be like this person looks like they need they need someone to talk to. And she would like have them over for lunch in New York city, an 80 year old woman 
just, <laughs> it's un uh, yeah. It's, Do you think that is mostly naive or just? She was very smart. That, that's the Did thing. she have a gun? Is nope. that what's happening? <laughs> no, and she was so physically weak, she could never possibly have defended herself if she got into a situation. That is so fucking risky. But yeah, but she never had a single issue that I that I know of. Um, you know, because she... And she would have, like... There were people that were over that had, like, come from gangs and stuff, but they would, like, change their life because of her. Um, she, she was truly this Yoda-like... Once in, <laughs> yeah. a, once in a generation kind of person but in any case yeah. um i need to ask you a couple questions oh is this the game yes okay go ahead <laughs> i already yes, forgot um, I'm glad you this remember. is a, this is such a hard turn, turn? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to i wanted to make it natural but whatever you know and this is how it is it's like Jan um, from tripod he just goes okay next topic <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly we're too old to waste yeah, time yeah It, this is a will you rather kind of game. Oh, dear. Talking about the masses, the audience, etc. Will you rather write the best musical ever made and now being able to share it? Like this person that you were talking uh, about before. Like he just wrote stuff and they found it years after. Mm -hmm. Charles Or Ives. write super boring tunes that everybody listens to for eternity. Well, I mean, if those are the only two options, I would go with the first one, despite the fact that, to me... Are you it's sure? It's Because the second one brings you money. Yeah, you know, but... You, everybody listens to it, they, they, they just consume forever, whatever there you are, There are occasional examples, though, of composers who write something that they're not proud of, and then it actually explodes and becomes their most famous thing. And they the basically Titanic. are they're no, I think Horner was quite proud of Titanic and it, really? well, he sh well he should have been. It's a brilliant even the song. People that that shit on the song are, are just trying yeah, to Yeah, I'm talking cool. about the song. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean look, it, it's my attitude is like if you think you're so much better, you go fucking write a song that that <laughs> platinum's 11 times. That's and crazy. And wins an Oscar and also By the way, I don't hate it. I just named it because I know people don't like it. He believed in it to the point he was told not to do it, and he basically wrote it in secret. Um, wow. So, it, you know, like, essentially against James Cameron's direction. And so, the to me, yeah, that one is a... Like, bottom line is there are... An example from classical music is Ravel's Bolero was a piece that he himself, I don't think, took particularly seriously, but it's by far his most famous piece. You know, the, the one that's this very, very repetitive with the dun da 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 dun da 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 dun da 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 dun with the dun dun na 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 Ah, wow. No, 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 no. Ravel wrote a thousand pieces superior to that. And within his own lifetime, that was his most famous piece and still to this day. And he had a kind of resentment about that. And because it was like, this is not a serious piece. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy, yeah. So I would hate... The idea of something, of like resenting the audience and, and thinking they're stupid because they, they, <laughs> they, 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 they ate the trash. And I, I have meanwhile sculpted this thing that's brilliant. That is so funny. So it's difficult because the, the premise of the first answer, I, I don't, um, 
to me, it's not actually even a valid question from the standpoint of like, can you write the best piece ever that nobody knows about? To me, it's impossible to know it's the best piece ever unless the audience like tells you it's the best piece ever, which mm -hmm. does then contradict the thing I was just saying of if you write a thing that you think is stupid and the audiences go crazy for it, yeah. maybe you're the one who's wrong. Maybe it actually is great and you just think yeah. you're superior. So it's complicated, but I still... It's it's hard pill to swallow of if a piece that you're genuinely not proud of becoming super popular and being like this is what I'll be remembered for is this thing that I, <laughs> I'm actually kind of embarrassed by. I know it sounds very like stupid pretentious artist type to go. I prefer to have obscurity. Um, it's like everybody <laughs> yeah. everybody says that, and then the moment they have the opportunity to be famous, they'll immediately take it. Um, yeah, you know. It's, I think you know. What name comes to mind? The this uh, Rebecca girl that you showed me the other day <laughs> with the, the Rebecca Black. <laughs> yeah, we were. But just just so you know, guys, we we Austin showed me. Oh, it was just this hilarious back back during the sort of golden days of uh, the, the one of the one of the eras of golden days of late night comedy when Jimmy Kimmel. I'm sorry, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Fallon, Fallon and Stephen Colbert had this kind of like rivalry between their two shows, and they they were they were raising right. money for charity, and it was like if you donate, you know, a thousand dollars or whatever, ten thousand dollars to to Jimmy Fallon's thing, I will go sing Rebecca Black's Friday on his show. And yeah, they did yeah. It so yeah, we we so were seriously. watching that. Yeah, we were watching that like last week. Like it's very fresh in my mind. So yeah, that that so I just remember funny. that. <laughs> I just remember that. But yeah, she she made that song that everybody hated. So I guess that's a perfect example. It was one of those things where she didn't even. It's not that she didn't even write it or anything like that. It, her her parents hired this guy who had a service where he would basically just like create a simple song and then. For you know a small fee, they would shoot a yeah, music video, well, and then you had like a little thing whatever that you think is cool. It happened, but this one went just inordinately viral. Yeah, well um, there you go. In any case, so you prefer it, you prefer to be an obscure artist like as literally you are an obscure I, uh, shadow right now. It's hard to talk to you like this, right? By the way, like uh, Austin is in front I'm, of this I'm, window, and he's like being so. Ooh, that's much better. Thank you. Because yeah, it's I hard to talk to you to... if I don't, uh, if what I is don't your, know, like what your is, expressions. What is your answer to this? I mean, if I know that I'm going to get money for whatever shitty work I'll do, I'll do it. I prefer I prefer the... <laughs> so clear. <laughs> well, you know me. Can you close it's, it with it's, the... It's literally like the movie Philomena with Judy Dench um, and... Um, I can't anymore. Okay. Um, and what's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on the actor's name, but that there's this great scene where they're in the car and she plays this woman who was like uh, very religious and her she had lost a, a child, was like taken by nuns or something. And um, they're in the car and, and she says, do you believe in God? And he says, well, I mean, it's an interesting question. There's a lot of philosophy to unpack and... And uh, it becomes a question of what is God, and also does the what is the importance of belief, and is it is it a matter of if it's fulfilling or if it's this or whatever? And he goes on and on, and he's like, "So yes, I don't, I don't know. What about you?" And she just goes, "Yes." 
<laughs> it's such a great little scene. Yeah. I love that movie. And uh, that uh, <laughs> I feel like that just happened now with, with us. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, okay, so question yeah, you two. Are, you like to di- dissect every topic ever, which yeah. I love. I that Yeah, I don't have anything against it. But yeah, I'm a simple girl. <laughs> I, I, I am okay making a piece that is not amazing and it gets famous if i get money to keep creating so be it i like that uh the second one is will you rather have the most creative ideas every single time you eat two full spoons of sour cream oh my god I love sour cream, by the way, but Austin, I don't know. He has some weird relationship with it. (laughs) I hate it. Or I, I, uh, yeah, it's weird because I'm, I'm a very open eater. I have no allergies. I, I like, I like everything. I, I really, I, I, I will eat any style of food. I love adventurous. I love eating things I never had. I love trying things that are new. You know, I love when I go to a restaurant and I don't even know what something is. There's very few things that I am turned off by. Um, <laughs> and uh, But um, sour cream and mayonnaise uh, are both, uh, to me, just nasty. And uh, yeah. so if I had to eat two full spoons, two even, <laughs> um, and then I would have the best cre- – I mean, look – <laughs> I, I, you know, we suffer existential crises for our art. Um, if that's just a different form of suffering, um, <laughs> then Come I on. guess I would take it. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, I wonder what kind of weird, weird <laughs> fucking Doctor Strange magic would require creativity co- to come from eating sour cream, but um, yeah. But uh, I would. Take you get the, trade. the. You get. Yeah. You okay? Two full spoons of sour cream or. Every time you stick a needle below your feet. <laughs> I mean, that's very easy. The sour cream is an infinitely more desirable. I don't like when my feet are touched. Really? Like, too full? I hate, I hate needles, first off. I faint from needles. Um, and second, I do not like things touching my feet. Like, it's very <laughs> uncomfortable. So it's the worst... Like when I see movies where like someone steps on a nail, not I even like, like a little, not I even like a black pinch, out. like a, like a tiny little like just I'll take poking. the sour cream. Really? Wow. Okay, that is unexpected. I'm amazed that's unexpected. Yeah, it no. is unexpected. You know how I am with needles. I fainted from well, my yeah, fucking but... COVID shot. Um, <laughs> You're so dramatic. So embarrassing. It was awful. Oh well, you're alive, which is great. But yeah. You didn't toss. You didn't toss your own blood this time, so That's good true. for you. Okay, right. well that was easy. <laughs> uh, here's another. Would you rather have a collaboration with another composer that you think his work is trash, but the guy is like this super great person, or have it with a composer that is like freaking genius but will make the experience miserable for you? Um, I think at the end of the day, probably the second one, because I think I would learn a lot. Um, I really, it's very valuable to me to have a great hang. I love when people are great to work with, obviously, who wouldn't? 
Um, and it's been, it's very valuable to be a great collaborator and, and, and feel like you're really bonding with someone and blah, blah, blah. All that is, is what makes things sustainable. Like if the question was enter into a lifelong partnership, then, you know, I would go with the person who I get along with, even if I'm not crazy about their work, because you're making a lifelong uh, gamble here. But if it's this one off, you know, like I have to, you know, write a score mm -hmm. with some mad scientist genius who's a real pain. Um, I just think it would be so worth the frustration of that for what you would learn from them and from what, right. you know, like kind of insights. It's like looking over the fence into the next house <laughs> yard where you you see a process that you don't normally get access to. Um, and if I had that, you know, if I had the option to work with someone like that, that feels extremely worth the the suffering of their personality yeah i guess yeah i'm right there with you i guess it is a uh, for me is more debatable but i guess i'm leaning more into the second as well but yeah i have a sure fuse i guess that will blow <laughs> that just means that that just means that you're the difficult one that is <laughs> being debated here well i'm the genius then I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's fine. It's accurate. <laughs> I guess that's why we're making this work out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm learning a lot. Uh, here. Uh, this is the last one. Would you rather have a niche community or circle of fans that deeply enjoy your work as an artist or the entire world consuming what you do but hating it at the same time? hating it yeah like they just hate it whatever you do they hate it but they do know about it i mean i don't even know what an example of that would be i guess maybe that my heart will go on but i the thing is i would argue <laughs> that they don't actually hate it they people who want to sound smart say that but the vast majority don't they cry and they think it's beautiful um, and they just are, have a hard time admitting that they love it for some stupid social pressure kind of reason. But I don't know. I, I do value the idea. I like the idea. And I've been embracing this like with my private discord through Bandcamp um, of like a small community of people that, you know, can get to know each other and really kind of support each other and and you know yeah. see each other in a more substantive way and not in a way that's like oh i read this about you on the internet therefore i feel like i know who you are but like no we've talked we've spent time together yeah i guess it comes down to quantity versus quality yeah exactly yeah i so to me that i like smaller more intimate relationships but but that's you know it's not an easy question necessarily because mm -hmm. like you said before you know, if having something be omnipresent and worldwide enables you to do other things, that's pretty valuable. Well, there you go. I guess, uh, yeah, that was a little little thing that I was writing like that's minutes a great before. great questions. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was, oh, that's great. Thank you for preparing that. <laughs> so you prefer the sour cream. I, I'm very impressed. To needles in the feet. Yes, <laughs> Jesus. This, the distinction is easy. Oh, my God. Well, there you go. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And once again, hopefully this was interesting and very curious to know people's takes, you know, in the comments and that sort of thing. Very curious to know people's uh, answers to these sorts of questions. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, you guys, you can actually. Uh, please. I'm very curious about your 
take on these questions and if you want to tweet uh go ahead and let us know what do you prefer if sour cream or needles <laughs> sour cream is amazing uh but no thank you so much uh you know that you can find us on twitter and instagram at brushes and keys and we hope to see you the next thursday hopefully yes <laughs> so yeah bye bye